This podcast is brought to you by The Learning Connection, School of Creativity and Art, tlc.ac.nz. So kia ora everyone and welcome. Um, our artist talks continue. Uh, we've had uh, a bumper term this term with um, Brent Ryan, the tattoo artist, coming in earlier this term. We had uh, Bevan Shaw come in a couple of weeks ago. And today it would be a great pleasure to welcome Mel Ford. Kia ora Mel. Kia ora. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> it feels very strange to be up here talking about my own work to all you people. It's nice to see some old faces, some old students here, as well as some new faces. And for those new faces, and for the people who will be listening to this podcast, which will be made at a later date, could you give us a bit of an intro about your role here at the Learning Connection? I am a tutor uh, working in a 3D department. I am a maker of things and hopefully act as a mentor to some people and a facilitator of people who come to the class to make the things that they want to make. Excellent. And I, yeah, to me it's a, it's a lovely exchange and I feel very privileged to have a, 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 a job where I'm continually learning and experimenting and interacting with others and it's like an exchange and a, and a bouncing off each other. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I know you hold a, a lot of mana on site just because the, the sheer amount of people that have come through your classes, the amount of delivery you, you have every week, including the weekend and the night during the, the days and the blocks and this goes on. How long has this taken place at the Learning Connection? Many moons. Many moons. Yes. <laughs> you want to have a guess at how many lunar cycles? What's 12 times 12? 144? Nice. That doesn't seem right. 144 Is that right? Had, uh, 12 years? But, you know, actually, a lot of it was just very, very part-time, and it's just kind of grown. It's grown. Well, I felt really excited to be chosen uh, as an artist and maker of things. I've been entering the Portage Ceramic Awards um, for the last six years, and I'm quite shy, actually, believe it or not. Um, to show, to the act of to show one's work is something that's scary for me and you know I love the fact that we have these these exhibitions here at TLC where you can go I made that and you know you all have that experience if you want to of going I made that at whatever stage you're at and I went through uh, Islam down in Christchurch, the School of Fine Arts down there and for me, it was really scary to show stuff and say I made that because everything you did had to be analysed and came from a very cautious place, I guess. And I mean, it still does when, when, when I make things and want to exhibit them and show them to the public. So even putting images up on Facebook is quite scary for me. But um, Portage Ceramic Awards was a vehicle for me to go, this is my work, this is, this is what I make. This is me, Mel Ford. And it has enabled me to emerge. That's what I'm told I am now. I'm an emerged artist. But I think I'm still emerging. Um, but I was selected to go to undertake an artist residency uh, in Medicine Hat. And where the heck is that? Because I didn't know. It's in Alberta, Canada. Um, and I was selected in 2013 by Amy Gorgati, 
who was the person that the Portage Ceramic Awards had elected as a selector for the show. And every year they get a different person of international respect in the ceramics world to select the show. I like that about the Portage Ceramic Awards because it's one person's aesthetic, not a panel, not a board of people going, this is better than that, let's put them in a line and organise it. And because I think with a panel sometimes you do get uh, compromise on, you know, it's just one person's view and you can't be upset if you don't get in because you just have to take that as I'm not their aesthetic, which is a good thing. And anyway, for the six years, different people have gone, I like your work, enough to put it in. Um, the residency, I read later, because I never met Amy, because her husband was sick and she had to shoot off before the award ceremony in Auckland. Um, but she said that she selected me because I work with ceramic in a way that I'm acknowledging both architecture and vessels or crockery or industrialised ceramics is, is a place that I like to start. Clay is an amazing and diverse material um, and two of the ways that we've harnessed clay throughout history have been in the making of objects, including in many vessels. Uh, you know, it's a major area that we've harnessed clay. And the other is to make architecture, to make buildings, to make shelter from what is otherwise the natural world. And in a way, when you fire ceramic, the word in Greek, keramic, is to burn. So keramos, I think, is to burn. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it, in a way we're playing geological, we're playing like Mother Nature. When, when we fire clay, we change it. It's geologically changed. It becomes a different material. And in, in going to Medicine Hat, I was um, taking part in an artist residency that was on a 150-acre historical site of industrialised ceramic production. And it, I'm sure, you know, it, they did it because there was massive gas, you know, natural gas underneath massive deposits of clay. And the railway came through there and, you know, it was put two and two together and there was no industry there and then they, they built industry. And there was, you know, it's pretty interesting because I said, well, where does the name Medicine Hat come from? And nobody could tell, you know, it was pretty, we had to find out the story behind that. And I'm sure there was a tradition of clay behind that before the industrialization of ceramics happened there. Um, I won't go into the story of why it's called Medicine Hat, but you could Google it if you're interested. But um, my work uses a lot of found materials. I'm interested in um, the starting point for a lot of my work is where the f where often it's discarded and cast off as valueless or devoid of function or aesthetic, you know? If something breaks, what happens to it? Geologically, it's rock. You know, this clay is no longer a soft dough. It's been fired and changed. And it's, um, yeah, it, even if it breaks, even if a vessel breaks, it still exists. It's been, you know, it'll stay around for tens of thousands of years as a shard. And, then, and it, all of this started because uh, a friend, uh, Barry Barclay, who's a, he's now passed on, 
He's an arts laureate. He's a filmmaker, and he, he was a you know he did a lot of very interesting documentaries and work. Uh, it, he did like a big story on um, oh <coughs> I've gone completely blank um, the cook not the cook island um, he did he did he did a, a when everybody went in Taranaki when there was the wars and the they they went. The Moriori's were on another island, and the and Captain Cook came. Yeah, the Chatham Islands. Parihaka. Yeah, he and he, and yeah, he's a storyteller and a writer and a filmmaker, and um, he gave me for my thirtieth birthday a little beehive matchbox, and um, I opened it, and it had a little bit of tissue paper, and wrapped up inside the tissue paper was a little ceramic shard, and. He knew I was born in North America, and he said, as I was unwrapping it, happy birthday, this is 800 years old. It's from the Saltmast People's Tribe, and it was given to me when I went to an Indigenous People's Conference in North America, and I'm giving it to you. And I looked at this shard, and I started to wonder what, what it was part of. It was part of a bowl, and what hands had made it. And what brush had made the little iron slip lines of decoration on it and who had eaten off it and the, the people that surrounded this bowl and had it as part of their life or their rituals, which, you know, <coughs> is an interesting area. R routine and ritual in a lot of cultures is not a separate thing. It's all part of the daily life. So I started to think about ceramics and what happens when something breaks and does it lose its value, does it lose its meaning and what does it change into. And I, I'm sure that on, and I, people in my class have heard this before, but I am sure that on some subconscious level, I don't know my own personal backstory to my family tree because I was adopted and so is all my brothers in my family, well half of them, but you know, it's something that I've always grown up with, but it's that something about looking at, at pieces of the past and trying to piece together. So to make whole from many, to make, you know, by refiring these pieces that I, I gather from shards of beaches around Wellington mainly, south coast of Wellington, I find a lot of these shards. I'm <coughs> refiring them into simple vessel, vessel forms with the act of kind of unifying or, or, you know, building up a vessel out of many. And I also like the fact that uh, it's across time and place because all the shards I gather are from many different lands. They're from many different times. And they're from um, different design or, you know, how they're made is quite, quite a cross range of things. The single piece that trigger that whole exploration. Yeah, yeah. In your current practice to today. Yeah. And, and so Amy Golgati, who chose me to go to Medicine Hat, did so because she thought I was working with both bricks is another area that I work with, and the vessel, and, and the fact that it was, yeah, she just said it makes sense for me to go because of the 
materials that I choose to work with. Mm, yeah. Fantastic. And you were saying that to me the other day about crockery, vessel and architecture. Yeah. And how that's the history of ceramic. Yeah. And how you infuse both of those in what you're doing. Yeah. I also, I also, you know, that's the kind of once it's fired side, you know, once it's harnessed by humans. But I'm also very interested in what happens to it in the natural world. And my piece, I've had a piece in, oh, I think it was 2011, called Crimea River that got into the Portage Show. And it was basically a stitched together, dried up tessellations from a riverbed, just on the mudflats before it goes to the sea. Um, and that's the story of clay coming down and settling. And it's also, yeah. Because you are mentioning about how waste is a yes. huge part. And you were talking about yes. how your generation is seeing things yeah. You know, being left behind, I, I think, suppose. I think, uh, and again, my students would have heard this, um, I think a culture, you know, artists don't make our culture. The culture is made by, no, uh, we, artists are made by the culture, okay? We are a product of our time. And what is happening in the world now is, is very much an awareness of our waste byproducts, what we're doing with landfills or not doing, and yeah, you know, it, it, it's um, it's alive in our psyche. I think as a collective humanity, and hopefully, you know, through the arts, it can assist to change people's or to be thinking and be conscious about these things. I wouldn't say that I'm politically, you know, trying to for force messages down people's throats but um, you are creating an awareness though yeah I'm part of part of a group of artists and um, the, the winning piece from the Portage Ceramic this uh, ceramic awards this year was Raywin Atkinson's work called Wasters Wasters 3 I think it was and it is a it really is a byproduct of all her making and it's it's just all these vessels stacked up that were you know mutant they did they weren't perfect they weren't finished or they cracked in the in the second firing or the glaze dribbled down the sides and um, what happens to them? They still exist. So, sh you know, it's, it's what you do next, you know. Um, Peter Longy, Peter Longy um, who's another potter, he, I like his little quote, he goes, because he works with bricks, he goes, if you build a boat with bricks and it floats, it's craft. And if you build a boat with bricks and it sinks, it's art. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like where does function and just pure, you know, functionless? Where's the line? And I mean, that's a dialogue. That's I, I, will, I don't think there is any particular. This is where it stops. I think, yeah, there's there's an exchange there and something a lot of us can play with in our work. Yeah. You mentioned the piece the other day, "Follow Your Bliss." Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a not a piece. Uh, was it a quotation? Yeah, it's a quote. Yeah. 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 Why is that of relevance? Uh, I just say that to students. Yeah. You know, trust your instinct and follow what you like doing, because you know, then you're going to keep at it. And another one is there's no Miles Davis, the jazz musician, said there's no such thing as a mistake. It's what happens next that counts in music. But it's the same in anything. It's you know, if you can always deduce something from what some would perceive a fail, if you've learnt it, then you you've moved on from where you started. It's what you do next. You can screw things up, have a tantrum and leave the room. 
or you can go, okay, well, that didn't work, but I know that I like doing it or I don't like doing it and move around it and try it in a different way. And yeah, that's how that's I work. And do you reckon that's where you come into your own when it comes to being in the studio space, supporting others through those processes and acknowledging when that occurs for them and giving yeah. them those insights? Yep, I think that's part of the role of a facilitator and, you know, it's, I mentor it myself. I, I think it's important to show that I don't know everything. I don't. And it's, I think we're kidding ourselves if we do, if we think we know everything. Well, there's nothing new is going to be discovered, really. Yeah, Robert Frank yeah. in our Artists in Residence talks about that, about re reinventing yourself and yeah. your own practice. And John, John Parker, the, uh, he's, a, he's a set director and s ceramic artist that I really admire. Um, he, I remember reading something of his years ago saying, if you're, if you're not making, excuse my French, but fuck-ups, uh, then you're not on the cutting edge, you're not taking risks and you're not pushing boundaries. You know, it's, um, it's a place to play. That's right. Yeah. It really comes in through our creative spiral here, the learning connection, that idea of applied risk taking yeah. and, and, and exploring places you've never been before. I think that's when it gets really exciting, even sometimes if you don't quite know what you're doing at the time. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> it um, is. <laughs> What's, what's it like with the legacy you feel like you're leaving behind? I mean, you, talk, you spoke of some students the other day of Sam Ducker-Jones, Fiona Henderson, Mia Hamilton, who's been an artist uh, talk before, as well as uh, Nicola Dench, you mentioned her name as well. So what's it like seeing, you know, the, oh, it's your, great. your posse grow? It's really great. It's, 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 it's a community. It's not, I don't think it's a legacy of mine. I think it's, it's real human interaction and it's like just watching people stand on their own two feet and carry on risk-taking, really, yeah? And, um, yeah, it's what you do, you know, it's that thing of what you do next. And sustainable creativity is, you know, ultimately I think one should reject one's tutor or your teacher mm. if you're standing on your own two feet and, yeah, yeah, take on it. But, it's, you know, it's been fantastic to, to go, oh, cool! so-and-so's in the show or, you know, and, and, you know, people like Nicola Dench, who's here today, has set up Blue Penguin Studios, ceramic studios out in Seatoon and um, continues to have a practice that's sustainable and make a living from, from ceramics and, again, passing it on to others, which is, you know, wicked. Mm, it is very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, heading towards the residency, you talked about it as being uh, that five-week stint was a time for everyday life to be put aside yeah. as you got to just do your thing without distraction. Yeah. I cannot stress, uh, you know, emphasise enough that what a pleasure that was to have the time and space to make and to leave all your worries and everyday life behind. Um, uh, <laughs> oh yes, that's Timely. our Adam. <laughs> yeah. So the residency, <laughs> the residency for those who don't know, was it a, a prize or it was a part of the Porter Ceramic? Yes, yeah. it was. Could it you was give a us a little bit more well insight about that? It was, it was a, um, yeah, it was an award where, yeah, I was just encouraged to go and make. There was no, no attachments really, and. Uh, I just want to come back to that thing of when you leave your life behind. Um, that photo with Adam dancing and I don't know if you could see it, but there was a little yellow line on the floor with tape. And 
That was my space. So he was, he was inside my space there. <laughs> he knew he was flaunting it. He knew he was stepping over the boundaries. But, but that, that thing of a space, what I really enjoyed about having that space as my space was there was actually a sacredness. You know, this is at the end of the day. This is about two in the morning when we were all getting a bit silly. But that space of each of us, of the 12 artists that were in the residency, was quite well respected by everybody. And, and it was respecting that, that making, that respecting, it's, I, I, sacred is too big a word, but just honouring people's space and that they might be in the zone and making and you don't disturb them, which I, it is an absolute pleasure to, to have. Um, you know, I, I just ask you to think about in your own classroom situation how, how you can honour that in others in the class to stay with the work and not the chit-chat. And, uh, you know, there's a time and a place for it all. As you can see, we were having a fun time. Um, but, yeah, to honour to honor when somebody's in that zone, time stands still and it doesn't matter, it's, it's irrelevant because you are working with the materials, your ideas, your hands are in there and you, you're thinking of nothing else, which is, you know, it's such a pleasure. Mm -hmm. And um, I know that we're all here because that has been something that we've all experienced and thought, I want more of that in my life. I want to m make more things and, you know, play. It, I mean, it's no different than a child, really. But, but, but to honour to honor that right for others to do it is something that I think I invite everybody to consider. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's a respect. And, it, and it's, it's um, there's time for play. And there's, you know, you shouldn't be afraid to make noises. But, mm. you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I think it is. It's, I call it transcendence. When you when you're you're with the work, you're with the making. I uh, you know so many times after after class I'll like put my bag on, and I'll go oh I'll just tweak this, and then three <laughs> hours later I'm still using my left hand because if I use my right hand then I think oh I'll really stay, but if I use my left hand I'm just about to leave, <laughs> just getting over you know and but it's just boom I'm in there and I'm doing it. Yeah. And what assists that process? Is it a cup of herbal tea? Is it music? What's your muses, Mel? What gets you completely into that, that trance? Time and space. Yeah, Just Fantastic. time and space and, yeah. and, and, and being inquisitive, mm. I think. I drive a lot. I have to drive a lot. And I also I use that as my thinking time. And it's such beautiful landscape that I drive through. It's, you know, it's the sea, it's the mountains, it's the sky, it's the trees. So sometimes that pre-process of yeah. just yeah, yeah. experiencing. Yeah. Do you think and that gets channeled into the work? Yes. Yes, I do. Yes, that's me having it. That was that same silly time. Adam <laughs> yeah. discovered on my iPad how to twist things around. So, um, so there's an image that's been altered on the screens that we're watching. And how um, do you, Mel, how do you start? Just one idea leads into another. It's I, I, you know, I, I really think that learning and ideas, for me, things unfold in a non-linear way. 
and I'll have three or four ideas on the go, or maybe 20 or 30. You know, I've got things that are time-based that are happening over several years, some of them. <laughs> and, um, would, and would Mel make one piece from start to finish, or do no. you potter around no. different works? And potter is, yeah. <laughs> it, it, with clay, you, you so often have to wait for things to get to the next stage. Yeah. And I don't just work with clay. I mean, I've, I've, the act of to collect, to gather up, to bring together, they're all things that I, I'm sure, you know, innately I was a hunter-gatherer in another life. I don't know. But, you know, I mean, I think my genes are towards that because I, and also as an artist, I like to really look at things. And um, so... I used to walk the dogs on the beaches around the south coast of Wellington and I'd started seeing ceramics so I started picking them up and thinking about what I could do with them. Now that I'm up on the Horofenua coast I pick up fence posts because there is no ceramics <laughs> and I've got over a thousand. I've probably got mm, about 1200 now. You know every day I get two or three or none or sometimes it's a real workout that I get. I just can't say no. And have they become something yet? They, they are snaking all around my acre property. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, to me, a fence post is, again, it's an artefact. It's, it's, it was something, and then it's been harnessed by man. It was a tree. It got cut down. It got made into a fence post. It created a line drawing across the landscape. It created a division which, you know, there's a whole minefield there, but it's, it's um, you know, unfortunately, so often it's about boundaries and borders and containing and keeping out a, a fence line. You can, you know, right from the word go, it's been a bastion, you know, or don't cross this line or um, keep the cattle in. And then, you know, particularly in, as it pertains to farming, there's a landslide, the fence post falls down, it washes back into the river washes down the river and I collect them at, this, at the interface of the, the river and the, um, the sea. And they're all beautifully sandblasted back, which I love. And I can't help it, but I sort of put them in order, a lot of them, <laughs> like according to height. But, you know, it, it's going up and down as a line draw. And I had an aerial photograph because uh, Transit New Zealand's probably going to buy my property. And so they took an aerial shot of my land and look down on it, and you can see my fence posts snaking all over the property. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that whole thing of the, the lines that they drew goes right through my studio, through this beautiful piece of garden, and you know, but I'm still waiting, so it's it, impending and probable, but I'm kind of on hold on that one. I heard of it, when I was in Canada, I heard about an artist that they reckoned I should check out, who trademarked their land. There was a sculptor and he had, he had terraformed his piece of land and the oil company wanted to come through and they had the compulsory you know, ability to come onto people's land and just put pipelines through it. And they said, yep, you can, you, the, the owner owns the top six inches and they had the mineral rights to what's below. So he said, yeah, you, you, can, you can put your pipelines in but if you touch the top six inches of my soil, you're disturbing my trademark. And he trademarked it. Which I think this is brilliant. And that, and that, cool, that case people. went that case went through. Yep. Yeah. They haven't touched them for 15 years. Yeah. Still there. Yeah. Going back to the um, residence email, what yeah. were some of the highlights? If you could touch on some of those, it'd be great. Um, meeting curator Janice Stanton, who 
uh, is an artist as well, it w um, and Aaron Nelson, who was the director of the place. Um, Jenna, I, I ended up working really hard on having a small exhibition in their kiln gallery space, which is this beautiful old kiln, and it was this incredible domed big kiln that they used to fire the bricks in. And um, a lot of the work um, just really responded to the space. I used to go and sit in that space every morning <coughs> when I biked up in the morning and I'd go and sit in it. It was kind of like a chapel. And uh, the acoustics were incredible. Um, at the opening, um, a professor of the history of craft, Muriel Peron, I think her last name is, she came along and she sounded like she was miked and I almost was embarrassed that we could hear her from across the room because the acoustics were so good and we were listening to what she was saying about the work, which was good. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it... it um, so meeting her and just getting her advice and you know her experience <laughs> in setting up exhibitions and also her playfulness. She she trained at Stoke on Trent um, and was very much into mold making and coming from precision. But she also got bored with that and so she'd be like sawing up her molds and creating these cr crazy kind of distorted pieces from that. And the other guy, Aaron Nelson, gave me a recipe that I really want to play with because I was exploring Egyptian paste. <coughs> I went with quite a clear goal, which was to explore Egyptian paste as a material, A, to get to know, and B, to see if I could use it as an adhesive to glue together my ceramic shards so that I could make forms without all the paper clay that I use. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it, I d it, it didn't work in the way I wanted it to, but it worked in many other ways. And, and I had a lot of fun playing with it as a viscous material um, and incorporating it with all the found ceramics that I had. Um, that's, that's a piece there where we, I just took the action to dribble, to drip. And those are all kiln props, the, the pieces around, it's all found ceramics. So I, I worked a lot with found ceramics because A, I was only there for a short time, so to make things and dry things and fire things was going to take a lot before I could get something where I could be using it. But it was also, you know, this, this, these factories, they gave me things out of the factory that, you know, they kind of were, they don't give it to everybody, but I was kind of honoured that they gave me two boxes of these um, prop, these little, that triangular extruded fired ceramic pieces that you use to elevate the work so it doesn't stick to the kiln shelf. And to anything, if I get excited, if, if I get multiples of anything, <laughs> and then to repeat an action with a material, and to also understand its history, like uh, what is to prop? What is to a prop is to hold up, to lift up, to support. Um, in the in the action of ceramics, it was to keep it off one surface. So I just then I started like stacking up the stack the stackers, I guess, and in using the um, Egyptian paste to glue them together. And then I started getting interested in how it would drip and dribble. And these are these are shards. I, it was such a delight to have many, many of the same shard, the same shape. So those were all like, archaeologically, I got given this pile of dirt and it was so dry, you could just like brush the dirt away and these shards would fall out of it. And I would sort them into, okay, these are cups, these are plates, these are dinner plates, these are saucers. 
And then I started playing with the possibilities of that because when I go to the beaches, I just get all these disparate shards, whereas here I could have all the same and that just was fun. It just, it just opened up a lot of possibilities. It was, it's interesting because yeah. then suddenly the, the tone or the colour becomes yeah. quite consistent and yeah. cohesive versus some of the other works I've seen of yours yeah. which have that variety in history. Yeah. The, the photography is always, uh, I've noticed with your work, of, um, of, of, of very strong quality. Do you have someone there to document or do you do, you do, do Why, it yourself? Those are all photos I took myself. Excellent. <laughs> um, oh, actually, I get, I've had a few other tutors at the Learning Connection assist me and Andy Monk this year. He photographed my work for uh, application for the Portage Ceramic Awards and because I do a lot of kind of multiple piece works that go on walls, um, it's not easy for them to photograph it when they just have a roll of paper as a background. So they get me to get photographs down here. Um, yeah, so I have had other people assist. Influence. But I really enjoy photo photography and I'm yeah. obsessive. I'll take like a hundred photos of the same object but just move a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great. It makes it all about your art. Yeah. There's no uh, surrounding noise or distractions. Can I talk just a little bit about this piece? This, this is the two purposes of a vessel as far as I'm concerned. One is to, to give out and one is to receive. And you know, I mean, yeah, it's just one, one issues forth and one gathers up. It's a simple thing, but you can have a lot of fun with it. And that was using the Egyptian paste as a goo. To, to catch that sense of something pouring out. And then the props stacked up was a way to literally elevate one from the other. And, um, you know, things like I, I, I was quite pleased with that white ring around it. I, I fired it and it just looked blah. And, and there was kind of little bits that were inconsistent. So I went, oh, well, I'll cut it off. And I, I love grinding ceramic and cutting. So I did. And I, to me, I like that white ring. It kind of gives it a frame for the difference, you know, the interface between the, in, the interior and the exterior. Um, it's great the way you've captured that gravity as well. Yeah. And frozen in time. Yeah. It's yeah, I think that's, it's, that, it's about that moment. Yeah. yeah, that moment of the drip or the catch, you know. Yeah. And how important is it for a 3D artist to be able to showcase their work visually when going for an award or, you know, documentation? I don't know. <laughs> it's good. That's all I'll say. It's actually, it's really good to, you know, I guess it's a way of getting one's, A, just getting you to bloody have a deadline. I think I'm quite good when I have a deadline. Towards. Yep, and also to go, I made that, and to share it. Yeah, yeah. And um, you mentioned recently to me, uh, Rick Rudd yes. is organising a bit of a, a bit of a museum or a, a yes. collection of works which is going to feature one of your works or yes. some of your work. Rick Rick has moved from his uh, I don't know where he was Castle Cliff. Yeah, but he's set up a place in Wanganui or Whanganui uh, uh, called Quartz, which is another name for silica. It's the, like the white stripe in a rock, but it's something that you use in ceramics. Um, and he his ha has a beautiful Brute Architecture building on a Butte Street, I think it is, number two or eight Brute, Butte Street, I can't remember which, um, where he's got a studio space, he's got a whole kind of area dedicated to his own history of making, 
which is beautiful stuff. I saw some stuff that I hadn't seen before. Um, but also every year he commissions a ceramic person to make a piece for his collection and it's quite exciting to be asked. So I was up there last weekend, um, I took up some work, white trash stuff that he'd, he'd seen some and asked me to make him some and he selected a piece for his collection which was I feel good about that. <laughs> Could you give the audience yeah. a bit of a, for those who don't know Rick Rudd, some insight to who he is or his, uh, his name within New Zealand ceramics? He's somebody who I've always admired. He's kind of, he was a, you know, he, he, he is somebody who did a lot of experimenting in the 80s and 90s and well he continues to experiment but with Raku firing and there was quite a big movement away from um, you know, earlier potters, it was all about discipline and glazing and control, whereas the Raku firing kind of opened things up a little bit. Um, and bright colours and things like that. Um, he does a lot of work with black. Black smoked and then just white crackle or clear crackles. But um, he, you know, he makes these crazy sculptures that are teapots, but they're teapots that you could, they could pour liquid, but they're so sculptural and they don't have glazes on the inside, so really they wouldn't hold tea. But you know, he, he gets asked, are you in the art or the craft, you know, category? And he goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you make up your own mind, you know? I've seen some of the, the work from Lizzie Ranson and his influence, which I think she's done a few of his classes before. And it's yeah, really yeah. interesting to see yeah, how beautiful. a mentor or a tutor influences their students with direction. Yeah. Hmm. And so well, coming back from the residency, yes. Mel, what was it like coming back to Aotearoa? Um, I wanted to stay longer, but apparently everybody does. Everybody <laughs> goes, oh, I wish I had another two weeks or two months. But I'd l I mean, I would, I would love, I would relish the opportunity to go back for a good four months. I think that you could really do some serious work in four months. But, you know, a lot of the people that were there were there for a year. Um, and I don't know that I'd need to be there that long. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. But um, why, you know, me being back? Yeah, you know, there was a little bit of a period where I kind of go, oh what now but I've just been too busy yeah. you know it was great you know last weekend was <coughs> great to drive up to Rick Rudd and oh, you know the the whole portage thing um, yeah being kind of focused on that but you know today I was driving in and I brought in a whole lot of found plates that I've got from op shops that I have some ideas I want to expand on and you know glaze together and then slice up so hey, if anybody has any plates, chipped plates, particularly white base plates, with, you know, a little bit of colour on them, it's fine. But any scrap plates, I readily accept. Okay, come and see me in ceramics. Send them to Mel. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. That's great. Um, I asked you the other day about whether your work comes in bursts or is it like a two-hour a night thing. Could you just elaborate a bit on that on, on your process? Yeah. yeah. Bursts. Yeah, I haven't got time to be making stuff all the time. Mm. I'm thinking about it all the time, you know, not yeah. all the time, but you know, when I get a gap. But um, yeah, it seems to be in bursts. So the and also, I'm somebody who works to deadlines, mm. and I always push those, you know, out. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of artists do. You, well, you, need, a, you need a frame. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I think something to work yeah. towards. And I mean, I've also got, you know, I've got uh, the luxury of, I teach. And so in that, I don't have to make work to sell. So I don't have to make work that I'm thinking, oh, this will sell, I'll make it. I can make work for the sake of the work and me being with the material and the ideas that it come out of my head and, um, yeah, which I really enjoy. And also, we have bursts here at the Learning Connection of being very busy, but then I also have extended periods of time where we've got downtime. And that's, that's my ideal job. Yeah. But the terms are quite seasonal, eh? And you get yeah. that time in between. And it's really interesting being at the um, Delta residency because there was, you know, the people that were working there as administrators or the head, they were they are doing that till nine till five, and then they all worked really hard afterwards. They, you know, they'd maybe go home and have a meal with their family and put the kids to bed, but they were back there until twelve or one. You know, yeah, they were working hard and. Um, even, you know, the studio manager was in there six days a week. And again, they were all working to deadlines. They had shows coming up. So I don't think that happened all the time. I think that was, uh-oh, it's getting closer. Must do some work. The burst mentality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I think, you know, I, you know, anyone who works with artists, I think that's quite a, an awareness that that's a valid way of working. And it's not necessarily the way one goes to a job. Mm. Knowing well, your own for some people and it doesn't for others. Right. Knowing your own rhythms, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mel, what did you do with all the pieces that you made in, while you were in the residency? Well, I purposely flew Delta Airlines <laughs> so that I could take two 23 kilo bags back to New Zealand, <laughs> which I didn't actually film because some of the stuff I did was so site specific, I decided it wasn't worth bringing it back. Um, I left it in the kiln gallery space and I also gifted two pieces to their permanent collection which is a beautiful collection there's some you know stuff there that was amazing um, and I gifted one piece to the curator because she she was supposed to be on holiday and she just she just came in and helped me with the exhibition and um, you know she she clocked up the hours as for, you know, she could work in glide time, but um, yeah, it was great. And also, um, I gifted some to somebody who took some photographs as well. But some of it was, yeah, it was just too thin and fragile. But I did bring back several pieces. Um, the white trash stuff I brought back and some of the tower structures. But I, I'm kicking myself because I had all these shards and I wish I'd brought them back because I actually had room for them. I've stashed them though. I go back. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of these works were ones that you left there or you've made since you've been back? I left a lot of, yeah, a lot of my dad. You know, like the place that I stayed, I gifted one to the woman. She had a collection because she always had artists billeted in her house. And that piece that we just looked at with the black, I gave to her. Um, and these bricks, I wasn't going to carry bricks back <laughs> in there. <laughs> that would be odd. Yeah, that one came back. Yeah, so that's the Egyptian paste and the props. Yeah, and I mean, I just played with viscosities and dripping and yeah, just got into a rhythm and 
getting to know that, you know, I made up, what, seven, eight different Egyptian pastes and played with how much liquid I added and then I played with how I was applying it. Um, I used it as a way to join together the, the propped pieces, um, but also after that was fused, I started playing with how it could ooze and drip off it. Because it, it's better than a glaze because it, well, it is a glaze, but it's, it, it, you can freeze that moment, you can catch that moment of a drip. It's not going to keep running in the kiln unless you turn it on way too high. Yeah. Now, you've got that class coming up in the Egyptian paste, I yes, do believe. I When's do. that? I, next year, uh, it's a Sunday class. I think it's just a one day. I'm not sure. It's term one of next year, 2016. Excellent. Stay tuned. Yeah. Well, I think you should all go out and enjoy the last of, I think it feels like actually it's gone over the break. So I think you should all go and have it some luck. It was well worth hearing your wise words of wisdom there now. Thanks for summing up your experience. Great Thank you, you, Dan. Thanks very much. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by The Learning Connection, School of Creativity and Art, tlc.ac.nz.